This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast. Powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We are delighted to bring you season four of Driven by Data, the podcast. And our aim remains exactly the same, to bring you some of the most respected and recognized thought leadership figures from the world of data analytics to share their knowledge, ideas, use cases, and insights across how they've tackled some of the industry's most trending topics and challenges. All that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season four. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Barr-Miller, who is the Director of Data and Automation at British Airways. So, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. No problems. Thank you for having me. No, it's all right. I'm looking forward to this. Um, so where we always start, Sarah, is by asking our guests mm-hmm. to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey up until this point in time, uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah. So I think I'm one of the lucky, lucky ones. I got into data um, basically as soon as I graduated from university, so back in the 90s, so a phenomenally long time ago now. Um, I feel quite pleased that I've always worked in data because we're quite a rare breed, if I'm honest, because data wasn't a discipline. It wasn't a thing um, back 20 years ago. But I did a geography degree, a human geography degree, actually, because I love writing essays. But um, we did this one module where we had to do a little bit of, I think it was SPSS or something or Minitab or something awful. And it felt like something just clicked. I could see my peers because in those days you had to book yourself into a computer cluster. I could see my peers all sitting around me looking jolly confused. And for me, it just seemed really natural. Now, I'd done double maths A-level, so it wasn't really a surprise, but I like talking and maths, I suppose. So um, a career in data wasn't really a thing I would have ever imagined, but it just where that's where my career took me. I was incredibly lucky after doing two really quite um, lovely jobs. I ended up working um, at Dunhumby, like many of your previous podcasters have done. Um, I joined them in 2003 when the team was probably about 300 people. I left then about 12 years later. But I think in that time, I think I'd done about 30 years worth of data careers, if I'm honest, because the change and the the rate of expansion and the sort of things that we were doing were were just so fascinating. So um, I was incredibly lucky because that set me up really for for what I do today. I joined BA two and a half years ago now, so still relatively pandemic-y, if that's a verb. Um, But a really fascinating time to join an airline, as you can imagine, because we essentially had to close the airline entirely. There were real periods, from what I can gather, where it was a real risk of the airline not, not actually continuing. So everything went to bed. And what, what's been happening now is that now everything's trying to be improved and everything's trying to change. So it's a really quite fast paced, a bit frenetic, a bit a bit much at times for some of the teams. Um, this, with, the, with the amount of transformation that we're physically trying to achieve altogether at the same time. So really exciting role for me. But as you can imagine, that can be quite a bit of a challenge. Mm, yeah, absolutely. 
where you were talking there, I was just thinking the amount of people we've had on this show as guests and who come to our events and a part of our community, et cetera, who come from a geography yes. background is yes. pretty is pretty incredible, actually. Yeah. Something something in the water there with uh, with those types of, of people for sure. I think you're right, because it, it really enhances your communication skills, I think. So geography is a really I mean, I'm so passionate about about studying it, but it's on the decline because actually it doesn't lead directly into a, um, a particular job, for example. So yeah. I am very, very passionate that geographers need to you know, continue, basically. Yeah, 100%. So we've got guests, Sarah, in, I think, 148 different countries as of today. I'm pretty mm. sure most of those countries will be very familiar with British Airways and you probably fly into all of them. But for Hopefully, anybody yeah. that might not be, just give us a very high-level overview of British Airways, who you are, what you do, etc. So we're we're the flagship carrier for the for the um, for the UK. We fly to yeah, scores of different destinations. We fly mostly out of Heathrow, with a lot of things going to Gatwick. We do an awful lot over to North America in terms of our routes. Um, so we are a very very busy airline. What that then means is the focus. If I'm if I'm really honest, it for most people in BA. Um, they are serving our customers. They are um, people that check in. They are people that you see as cabin crew. We've got obviously lots of pilots. Um, the actual sort of head office function, as it were, is relatively small in comparison. And a lot of the focus is about what metal are we flying where and let's get it off the ground on time. So the sort of the data, I'm not saying takes a back seat because that plays a, a quite an important role. But I think historically it's not been the focus really of the company. We're going through a bit of a digital transformation, like everybody. Um, uh, you know that's not unique, um, but still very much. You know the focus is on where we're we flying, how are we how we're we doing things. We're one of those lovely businesses, actually, that you can't you can't automate away because you, you can't do everything virtually. We're going to physically fly you to San Francisco, for example, if that's where you were going. We, you can't do that virtual reality. You can. It's obviously just not as good as experience. So. We have a very, very personal nature of our business, which is underpinned then by a digital experience. And being blunt, as anybody that's flown on BA will know that the digital experience at times leaves a lot to be desired. I was away with quite a lot of our senior leadership in Dublin last week, um, and it was amazing. The, the, all of the chat in the lounge was, did you get the app to work? No, it wouldn't link my booking. No, it was really annoying. I have had to do it. I had to print stuff out. So we know full well that our digital experience is not where it needs to be. And there's a huge amount of investment going in at the moment on, on that. In terms of what I do, so I look after, as you said at the start, all of data. I also look after automation, so robotic process automation which is utterly fascinating. And that's the other sort of part of my personality. But when it when it comes to the data side of things, I look after all of the data that goes basically everywhere. Um, we've got a very on-prem uh, warehouse at the moment, if that's even an expression. But it's uh, if you could get a very on-prem, it's very on-prem. Um, and so part of my agenda is to modernize what we do and provide that platform that can really springboard our growth and our future expansion, particularly on the digital side, but um, in a more wider sense as well to to enable, you know, you can't do AI without a good platform that can consume some of that really chatty, really um, noisy data that you're going to want to start using. So I think a lot of things 
we are a bit slow on and, and many people as customers will be not surprised. We're more cautious. We have a very big sort of safety and security ethos. As you can imagine, we're flying humans in the sky in, in big metal tubes. So you've got to think about safety there. But that extends culturally to almost everything that we do. So we're not doing a huge amount in Gen AI space. We don't do a huge amount in things like even chatbots and things like that. So um, there's there's a there's a lot of improvement that we can do, which is really exciting. Mm, yeah. So look, I really appreciate your candidness there. And I think um, as you said, a lot of a lot of opportunity in environments like that to kind of progress and take the business to yeah. to the next step, right? Um yeah. I guess if you rewind two and a half years then, what was yeah. the I guess the premise of you joining BA? Was there a, a mandate as such in terms of Sarah, this is why we're hiring you, this is what we want you to do? Yeah, no, that's a really lovely question. So the role existed prior to me joining. So the data function, I'm very lucky, actually, the data function is very well regarded. And it's been in BA for, well, some people in my team have worked in it for 35 years. So it gives you a good sense that before wow. data was even a thing, this this is a role is really quite pivotal and has always existed. Why they needed somebody so that the, my, my predecessor moved on to a, a different opportunity. And what they wanted was somebody to come in and essentially change things and shake things up. So we we hadn't even made a step towards the cloud. Like I said, we've, we're very on prem. So we've had a we've had a Teradata warehouse for in excess of twenty years. So it's got it's on it's grown roots. They are deep deep roots. And I think somebody that want that needed to come in and really sort of kind of provoke. Why why are we doing it like this? What what limits us? What could we be doing more? And I think in a funny way, we've sort of trained the rest of the, the teams in the business to sort of say, well, they don't really ask for data that's, that's sort of noisy and chatty. They don't really, they, we kind of train them to, to self-limit. And I think that's what we're trying to change. And that cultural change, you know, as everyone listening to this will know that that's probably part of the hardest thing, not only changing the expectations of those who are in the team today but also um the expectations of our of our customers put, put bluntly mm, yeah absolutely i mean i think as you very rightly said that's probably been highlighted as the the most difficult thing to do right you know you can build all the solutions and you yeah, can drive, easy, yeah yeah you can drive a lot of the you know the the literacy programs to try and get these yeah. solutions more, I guess, you know, used if you want to call it that day to day, but actually mm -hmm. the whole mindset and behaviors of the culture around the acceptance that that is the way forward is, Absolutely. is very difficult, especially in large traditional legacy type organizations that you've obviously found yourself in. You mentioned, yeah. which I found fascinating that they wanted someone to come in and kind of shake things up, like change. Yeah. Things. Was there a, was there kind of anything within that that brought them to that conclusion? You know, was there an instigator as to why things needed to be? I, I mean, I don't think they would have changed things if my predecessor hadn't decided to to move roles. But I think my, my boss at the time was relatively new in into BA as well. Um, he sadly moved on now, but a phenomenal chap um, called Ant Alcock. And I think he recognised that the direction of the data team was 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 it was basically stability and there's nothing wrong with stability and over covid that's exactly what they needed when they were coming out from covid and my predecessor you know wanted to move i think he took he took stock and thought well, actually what we do need is is change here um and wanted to sort of change that dynamic um and my predecessors but uh, both of them really have 
have really been very, very close to the detail. They've grown up in those in the department. So they know absolutely everything about all these feeds. And you know, we have, as you can imagine, thousands and thousands and thousands of tables and feeds and all of the rest of it from all of these different sources. And they knew all of them like the back of their hand. And Ant at the time, I think, wanted somebody that was never going to know all of that off by heart. And I know some of the core ones, but I don't know, you know, the minutiae of it. And I think somebody, he wanted somebody that could come in and deliberately push things forward without being too bogged down in the detail. Um, I think he wanted someone, I mean, I'm quite high energy. I'm very enthusiastic. I'm really supportive. So trying to get change done. I'm not, I'm not a bulldozer, but at the same time, I'm, I'm probably like a, like Duracell bunny or the ones in the adverts that just keep clapping perpetually because kind of what I do I'm, I'm the cheerleader of the team and I'm gonna get and I have achieved a lot of change in two and a half years but I've done it with the team I am not the sort of person that's going to just come in and railroad over things that they've done because these people have built careers 30 odd year careers something that I could never aspire to but they've built their whole lives in this team and I'm not there to to rubbish it I'm there to help improve and to sort of make the you know this will realistically be the last role they probably ever do in their careers I want them to end on a high I don't want that to end in like oh yeah and then this woman called Sarah came in and then it all changed you know so I, I that's not the way I run change mm, yeah that's really interesting I, I think you make a great point there that there's periods in time where if there are personnel changes that's almost yeah. like a great moment in time for organizations to press reset and or change yeah. direction on you know to, to kind of influence what they want the future state of that business to be which is yeah, exactly. is uh is very interesting. So if we take you back two and a half years, and obviously you, mm. you came and you already mentioned the cultural thing as being a, a challenge. Um, I guess at that point in time, obviously you're presumably assessing the landscape, right? What is the strategy moving forward? What do we need to do, etc. What were the kind of core challenges that you faced at that moment in time being in such a, you know, traditional organization? Yeah. I mean, that's the, the traditional side of it. I mean, it's a, it's a really, double-edged sword like I was just describing I've got lots of people who've been at BA for longer than I've been working and what that means is they've got a phenomenal amount of corporate knowledge there is nothing that these guys don't know and what they but what that means is that they don't know about the stuff that happens in the big wide world outside so the sort of knowledge about the cloud platforms and the sort of tools and technologies that we could be utilizing was just really low and I wouldn't be expecting anything other than that um, attrition in my team is basically zero, which is another quite weirdness that, uh, uh, that I find myself in. It's not a challenge. It's absolutely wonderful. But without investment in people, um, you didn't have any of that sort of healthy attrition, which I would think of it, where you bring in people with new skills. And actually, in the last two and a half years, I've made no multiple business cases to significantly increase the team. And it's increased by, gosh, well over 20 percent since I joined. Um so I needed to bring some of those skills in and people that have got those like those war wounds about doing these sorts of transformations in other areas and what you need to sort of consider because it's a big team, including uh, including all of our consultants, many of whom have been with us decades as well. We've got a team of well over 150 people. So you've got quite a lot of inertia if people aren't bringing and haven't got those skills. So we've been focusing a lot on upskilling them and training them. Um, like I said, there's a culture of sort of safety and security. So that pace of change is slow. And so people come in and want to change things quickly. You're just 
kind of find it really hard. So um, while that, I suppose that is a challenge in some degrees because I, I want everything tomorrow. That's how my life works. You know, I write myself to-do lists for weekends. Uh, I'm never content in what I'm doing. I'm always up to something. I barely sit down. Even on holiday, I've got a plan. I'm going away in two weeks. I've got a spreadsheet. You know, so my life is very fast. Um, and so I have to deliberately slow down when I'm in BA. Um, something that I don't think is a problem, but I think for others, it could, you know, that could be a real barrier to want to work there, I think, because the pace of change is just a bit more sedate, I think. It doesn't mean that we're not doing the right things. It's just you've got to take quite a large number of people with you at any one time, as well as then our customers who've got used to working with us in a certain way for a certain period of time. We've got a data warehouse that's very well trusted. I mean, we've we, I decommissioned SaaS. We were, you know, so we were still using relatively, you know, quite old school tools. You know, SaaS has moved on massively. We're still using old school SaaS that I used back in my dumb humby days when I first started coding. We still used S-Base. Load of people still do things just in Excel. Um, so the, I, I think the, the expectation from the business is quite low, and I'm trying to significantly improve that it's all they all they typically ask us for is can you get another feed of data in because we'd really like to be able to analyze it in your central warehouse it's not about i've got this really exciting use case and the problem i'm trying to solve is x and i think some machine learning would be really important here and that will be underpinned by a more operational warehouse we're trying to get them to that place but they often don't see that that's what the what the solution to their issues are it's just not the language that they have that's really interesting because I think if I think about a lot of the conversations that we have on this podcast or at events, and I know that you mm. you do a lot of public speaking, right? Yeah. It, you know, the conversations and the debates around, well, how are you showing the value and how do you yeah. get that end state of showing value quicker because the appetite from the business might be there, but their yeah. knowledge around that might be lacking a little bit. And therefore you have this conundrum where, the expectations for most businesses is they think it's almost like a, a light switch effect, right? You know, yeah. you, start doing, you start doing, in quotation mark, data and analytics, and then all yeah. of a sudden, da-da, you know, there's the yeah. tennis, <laughs> right, out the other side. It seems like you've almost got the opposite challenge where they're happy for this to be a slow-moving thing. Um, how do you tackle that personally then? How do you try and drive the change? I guess what's worked in that type of environment? Yeah, you know, I think you're absolutely right in your summation. I think um, I, I, what I do sense is a sort of slight sea change, and that may be because I'm pushing at it as well. I've also brought in some key people. Um, I brought in a new chief of data engineering who's really helped helped create that sort of more. We haven't got any burning platforms, and I think that's what the problem can be sometimes. If you can look, look, we fixed this thing, amazing. Um, then you can get people behind you quite easily. And we're kind of creating our own and basically um, telling those narratives, telling that story about what the world could be like when we've fully got to where we want to get to, which is you know, a more modern data and analytics tech stack so that you can actually you can create some machine learning. I think it helps, like I said at the start, around our digital experiences being transformed behind the scenes. So we're, we're running a big program. Uh, it, it's you know relatively secret in the sense that we're not talking about it externally, but it won't surprise anyone who's tried to book online that we're trying to radically improve how we do that. Um, so we're doing a lot of those programs behind the scenes. And really, you need 
a modern data platform in order to build upon all of those things. Um, it would be absolutely pointless radically changing the customer experience if you still don't know where their previous bookings are and things like that. So we we are going at the, at the pace that the business is going. So in pockets, we've got some really quite aggressive bracing is the word my colleague uses, timescales in order to get these new things up and running. But on the other hand, our, our sort of normal customers are just expecting business as usual. And I'm trying to coerce them, I suppose, into expecting more from us. Um, we're doing a lot of work on value. I mean, you, that is a perpetual theme, isn't it? Particularly somebody that works in data leadership. But um, we're doing lots of work on that. We find um, when we're asking or when we're talking to our business, trying to, to trying to garner new use cases for how we want to use things, they're things that people may have asked for years before, and we kind of trained them to stop asking because it would have been too difficult. We didn't have the resources for it. So in a funny way, we're just unlocking some of those conversations that perhaps they had with us a while previously that never went anywhere. And now actually they're starting to, you know, we're starting to demonstrate that we're actually doing some of these things. Um we are we're definitely not talking about them enough though so i've just kicked off a big stream of work to do with engagement and comms because um i think there's a lot of um probably misunderstanding there's a i've got three audiences in a way i've got the rest of ba you might need to know a little snippet that we're improving things i've got a middle tranche of people that are active data users and then a core tranche who are like my best customers usually in the commercial and the revenue management teams so i've got kind of three key audiences that i need to engage but we're not doing enough on that We've recently um, brought in data from our flight data recorders. So when you fly, and obviously everyone will be aware of a black box, which of course is orange in real life, um, that actually pings now data virtually. So we've got a, a we've now started to bring that data in. It really helps with our sustainability mission because you can understand how much fuel we're using depending on the routes. Um, routes are really hard at the moment because of all the geopolitics that's going on at the moment. So actually to get to the far east is really hard for us because you have to fly over or avoid areas that are in conflict so understanding how our fuel profile changes and how much fuel we need in order to be diverted over certain certain areas which you've still got airspace open really important that data is massive it pings it pings live think of all the planes in the sky that data would have absolutely exploded teradata um, and now that's all going into s3 buckets and it is available for people to start analyzing and, and looking at semi real-time information so we're doing some fabulous things we're just not shouting about it and that's what i want to change that's what 2024 will bring for us it's far more bringing our bringing our team and our work out into the into the daylight a bit more at Data Literacy Academy, we help large organisations roll out data literacy programmes across the entire organisation. But what does that really mean? Well, it's far more than data training. This is the foundation of great data culture, transformation adoption and data product usage. So if you've got those priorities on your roadmap for 2024, visit www dl-academy.com where you can sign up for your free data literacy consultation and we'll help shape your people strategy for 2024 achieving those key strategic outcomes yeah that's really interesting because i think um you know i've had many people on this podcast who've openly sat here and kind of you know applauded their internal efforts around comms to try and drive yeah you know change and adoption because you know a lot of people just don't understand what is possible until they start hearing or seeing yeah, you know, this exactly happened it. within this function and they're oh hang on i, I would quite like that <laughs> actually you know how do, how does my team get that so yeah i think that makes um 
I think that makes a lot of sense. How, in in terms of the the cultural piece, then how does mm-hmm. I guess, how do you you mesh together the the prioritization of use cases when you're mm. trying to change that culture in terms of, as you said, you know, you it seems like you've not got a business that's very forthright in coming to you saying we need this, we need this, we need this. So you're almost having to prod and poke around where actually might be best served to help the business. How do you kind of prioritize yeah. what that looks like? So we're quite we're quite brutal in the way that we prioritize work. So not only have we got um uh you know in terms of the existing team, but we've also got quite a lot of business as usual that just needs to be kept ticking along. Um so but we're quite ruthless as to how we do that because we need to have a financial va- value on most things. And of course we with certain programs like the one that's improving our digital experience is a bit of a get out of jail free card if I'm honest as soon as that it's for that work stream then of course it gets them prioritized. Um so culturally, we've been, again, deliberately quite slow in the, in terms of the cons as well. What I didn't want to be in a situation is of over-promising. I absolutely hate it when almost you, con- you engage too soon, then you build up an expectation. We had a lot of foundations that we needed to build, and that took, it took most of pretty much all of 2023 to build some of those foundations and also to upskill the team. We've been running a cloud academy for all of our data engineers, which has been tough for them because some of them haven't done any actual classroom learning probably for a decade. You know, they'll have done leadership training bits and bobs and they'll have done, you know, how to do agile in a day, that kind of thing. But they haven't actually sat in a classroom. We did it for four weeks. They sat in a classroom for four weeks and they had to learn how to do cloud things and, and start applying those skills. That was tough for them. But I think it's, again, it's listening to them, listening to what's working, getting them to work on the new things. Um, and doing the things that they love, which fundamentally is, is you know, doing the work that they love for their, for their customers. We're organizing product teams. So actually, it's quite simple to see where that value comes to. So you can instantly see the stakeholders that you're working with. But it has been it has been really, um, I suppose, difficult, really. I think for me, I'm I'm very open and transparent as a leader. I've got um, I have an LT with my leadership team every single day. I've got an extended LT that I use with all of my people managers. I have a monthly opportunity for all of, you know, and contractors included, anyone that works in data. We have a very open door. I sit in the middle of the floor plate when I'm in the office. So everyone comes and doorsteps me. They know where to find me. I'm very approachable as a as a leader. So I think culturally, I've not been too much of a shock in comparison to the previous people that they've had um, because they were they were very approachable in the same way because they, they were the ones that grew up in that department. So I think I've been an easier transition in that way. But then it's again, it's then then my task has been engaging with the rest of the senior managers. Now, bear in mind, I joined semi-COVID-y. Um, so it was all virtual. So I was having lots of really weird meetings with people just, you know, when they were sitting in back bedrooms and all of that sort of good stuff. We're, we're used to it now, but um, it was a little bit a little bit weird. But um, for me, that has been really important is to get those networks um, uh, and to really start ha- thinking about how we can help um, them deliver what their expectations are. We never really, as a data team, engage much in the marketing function. But given my background in Dunhumby and the use of customer data around engaging our customers, I've put much more emphasis on helping them. We're just kicking off some work at the moment to understand our marketing mix and how that should all flow in. And we're we're front and center of all of that when we wouldn't have been previously because it wouldn't have been a focus. So I'm trying to spread my my net as much as I can do. But it's, it, you know, it's busy and it's tough. We're a massive, massive organization. 
Um, and although data gets mentioned quite regularly, particularly when we get any sort of our leadership away days, um, it's not something that then translates into uh, kind of uh, tangibles, I suppose, is what, we're, what I'm trying to say. Uh, when it comes back to specific requests, I really need you to help me launch this event. A lot of people would just try to do things by themselves. And I think that's where we need to change it. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I like the piece that you said around making sure that you had the foundations in place, because yeah. again, the amount of conversations I have where, you know, there's been a lot of people that have probably learned the hard way from going, given the big sell, right? You know, this yeah. is of the possible and then everyone says okay yeah. Yeah, i want that and then you're like, oh no no you can't you can't have it yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know not, not yeah we're, we're 18 months away right so it's, yeah it's it's really uh yeah really interesting but i guess yeah it's all that you get that you get that piece right for sure yeah it was it was a really part massive part actually of the strategy start with the why for the team so why do we want to change what we're doing today what is because there's nothing fundamentally broken. We could tick along like this for another couple of years, probably, without anybody really shouting at us. So why do we want to change? Because change is, change is difficult. Change is hard. It involves an awful lot of time, a lot of um, actually kind of disappointing of some of our customers while the teams go off and build some of these other things. So we had to get the why straight. We had to be really clear and crisp on the why we wanted to change. And then we wanted to build the foundations and then it's now talking to the to the sort of external teams and external markets. Some of our critical friends, you know, remained close to that the whole time, obviously. But when it comes to other teams, they're probably unaware of some of the work that we're doing. And I kept that deliberately in, in that vein, if you see what I mean. Um, because, as I say, I did not want to get to the situation where people were wanting our services and new things. And we just couldn't we, we will be, you know, frankly, annoying them, yeah. um, to put it mildly. Yeah. In, in, so you talked about their framing the why at the outset as a huge yeah. part of the, the strategy, I guess, in a business that, again, seemingly culturally, you know, was quite content with how things were going. You know, there was no actual nothing's broken. There's nothing needs fit yeah. in. We could have, yeah. you know, carry on as we as we are. What? How do you tease out the why in those circumstances? Like what, what, oh, what the drivers do you think? It really took us a long time, if I'm honest, because you almost because we've trained the rest of the business not to ask us that harder question. You have to be really, I suppose, asking lots and lots and lots of open questions of your stakeholders. Well, what if what if you could have this? What if you could have this? What if that was actually delivered quicker? What if you had, um, you know, frankly put, our Teradata box is so constrained that on a Monday morning when we're running a lot of our jobs from the weekend, we have to kick people off the box. That's something I haven't done for probably 15 years, but we do it almost, you know, twice a month, let, let's say in BA. So we they're kind of used to it, which is daft. I'm like, surely there's valuable work that people need to be doing on a Monday morning. So we have to ask, we, we started with lots of open questions. Well, what if you got your reporting um, instead of arriving at nine o'clock on a Monday morning, it was waiting for you when you got in. What if you could run lots of those jobs that you do manually automatically so that some of those things were already done for you? Um, so they're quite quite specific, but at the same time, it just started opening people's thoughts. And then, from as a result of that, we then got a relatively compelling. Well, actually, the first the first why we need to fix is the commercial team, because they're the ones, frankly, making the revenue for us and and choosing how many seats you put where, which routes you fly, and how much you you sell everything at. And if we can improve their experience um, and their their sort of data understanding and their their ability to action things, then there's a very easy why there. And I think, but as I say, they were ticking along nicely. There's no reason to have changed. But 
we've managed to tease out enough whys and enough enough examples of what we could do better that meant that actually then people started to think, oh, actually, yeah, well, you know what? Such and such actually runs that manually and they run that in like a sandbox. And wouldn't that be nice if that wasn't like that? And I think you just got more and more people thinking kind of what if. Um, right. And we collated all of that together to kind of create our why. Um, it still doesn't mean that we don't get challenged on it in terms of, well, you know, Teradata is not that bad. Um, but actually, we've got enough of it, uh, enough groundswell, really, of the the why that that we are much clearer now of what we're trying to achieve. Mm, yeah. Was the, I, I guess, was the decision to impact you know or improve the experience of the commercial team intentional on your behalf because obviously that's yeah. where it's directly related to the thing that matters to the stakeholders the yeah most. that's <laughs> where the value is yeah yeah absolutely that's where the value is and actually that's where the most data maturity lives as you can probably well imagine other teams uh, are probably uh, less data literate but the commercial team they use data all the time um they're going through their own transformation piece at the moment in terms of the back ends of how how fares are set and all of that sort of stuff massive massive transformation but that's not going to really impact them for probably a good 18 months yet until that goes live so we want to do something far quicker and that's what we're kicking off in January is getting all of their data up into Snowflake and AWS and really starting to improve how they do things. Um, but yeah, it was very deliberate to choose where the where the value where the value sits. And they're they're kind of our most trusted customers and trusted advisors as well. Mm, yeah, makes uh, makes perfect sense. I guess linking the culture then. So obviously you've got this mm. cultural change that you're trying to to kind of affect. Does that or did that influence your um, strategy around team structure and the the different types of mm -hmm. team structures that there might be federated, centralized? I know that you you spoken before about avoid avoiding the polo, which um, yeah. Cool. yeah, just talk us through that. So that's the suite, everybody, and not the car. So yes, yeah. yeah, so trying to avoid a scenario where you've got the wild west going on around the, around the sort of outside edge of your polo and then nothing happening in the middle. So yeah, absolutely. So all the while I'm trying to do this, there's a there's a big piece for me around where does the work get done? How are our teams organised? I said I said earlier that we're arranged in product teams. They're kind of pseudo product teams, if I'm if I'm honest with you. They don't really all orient themselves around key data products because um, most of our warehouse does appear from an external viewpoint as a bit like a bowl of spaghetti rather than a discrete set of like nicely arranged arancini. I'm not I'm mixing my metaphors massively because one's rice and one's pasta, but you know what I mean. You can't you can't draw borders around a lot of our data because of the way it's been organized. We're trying to start trying to start doing that. So we've got some good partners working with us around that at the moment. But also, I'm very passionate that um, I don't want my team to be a bottleneck. So in the reverse of a polo, when everything is kept centrally, um, a Murray Mint, if you like, if you're thinking of board suites, you know, um, I don't want everything to be coming from a centralized team because I don't think that that really helps our teams become more data literate, feel more ownership of their assets. We have got relatively good data governance in BA. I'm very proud that that's the situation I've walked into. But because we come from a safety and security mantra, it's more like, tell me why you need to do that and uh, what is really going to drive then yeah well let's give something a whirl and let's make sure that the data is organized in a way that doing things safely is the default and you haven't got access to PCI PII so let's make sure that governance is easy 
Um, that's not really the situation we're in at the moment. We've got a very, um, they have to take their roles very seriously because people do want to do crazy things with data and have access to data that they perhaps ought not to. So they take their role as more police police women and policemen rather than enablers of value and somebody that owns a data product to really maximize the value out of it and to almost tout its wares to other people to get others to use it. So that's the transformation that I now want to see. So I've built my cloud foundations. I'm starting to get some users onto it. I'm now onto the next thing, like with my to-do lists, which is, right, let's embed a much more data-oriented way of thinking about things, really value-driven, um, and get governance to be helping to do that. Now, that's going to take us probably the next three years, if I'm, you know, if I'm lucky. But in terms of your question around, did that guide my thinking? So I think, yes, it absolutely did. Where we've got pockets, like we we're saying about the, the digital improvements, they're creating their own product team. And um, what I've worked with them very closely to set up their own data function. So we're already in a more hub and spoky environment already. And I really want to accelerate that because I think particularly in the commercial space, they've got the bandwidth, they've got the appetite to be able to have their own data products that they own and they, um, they manage. Now, it needs to be governed. It needs to be... Um, looked after centrally there needs to be one platform i don't want everyone running off and getting azures and gcps everything i you know i want it to use the same architecture that we've got because then that enables the ability for others to to, to use their data products but put bluntly um but i want to enable others to do things um, and that's the sort of second phase of the journey so my team needed to be good at cloud before we then started um, to expand those skills into others. But it's not going to be right for everyone. We're never, ever fully going to um, get rid of all the data products we run, and nor, nor really should we. There are certain directorates who are going to want to use us as a service like they do today. We're going to look after their data products and curate them and manage them to the best of our ability. But for others who are much closer to value, they are going to be the ones that, that will have the ability and the and the knowledge and the structure and the support to actually have some of these satellite teams. Now it's not for the faint-hearted, and I've made it very clear to our chief commercial officer that you know you're gonna you're talking about humans. They've got they've got career paths, they've got aspirations. You're going to need to allow them to rotate like we do today around different product teams. So provided you're part of this, you know, the center of excellence term gets used a lot, but you know, part of that world, they're still part of my data function. It just so happens they sit on a different floor plate and that they, you know, report um, into some people that work in a different direction. It shouldn't really make a difference. They're still part of that data engineering diaspora. And that's the sort of um, environment that I'm trying to build in that sort of culture. But it's it's slow going, I think it's fair to say, because that's not a change you embark upon overnight because you need to make sure you've got a really good center of your polo before you then allow some of those teams to flourish. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, you know, we, we hear a lot about the the pros and cons of different models, right? And the centralized versus yeah. the federated. And obviously the hub and spoke has become the thing that kind of sits between the two and gives you a bit of, of yeah. um how has that uh, I guess played out in reality for you then, Sarah, with obviously the fact that you've got some people in your team that have been with BA for 25, 30 years, because obviously yeah. convers this conversation is normally fueled from the from the vantage point of, well, actually it's good to have a federated model because you've got people that have domain expertise and they you know they, they yeah. know data but they know finance or they know ops or they know whatever yeah. whatever it is right um, yeah, exactly. but you've got people that have been in the business for so long you kind of maybe don't have that problem to the same degree 
which is an interesting. No, I think we do but, actually. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, we do. I think yeah, because a lot of a lot of my team have really made. Um, they've really made. They've got such high expertise, but it tends to be in particular areas. So interestingly, we're not getting much. This isn't being driven from the business areas. This is being driven by me to an extent. As I say, the program around digital is being is driving that. But I've kind of given my permission because I could have built all of the, the data engineering for them. But I said, no, 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 I don't, you know, I don't need to. You can you can absolutely run that yourself with my I've planted in some of my team into that so that they they know how to do things. But it's me really reaching out to them to say, I really think this would benefit the way that you that you do things. Um but on the people side, yeah, I think I think it's still slow going because I think what we haven't worked out is where all of the areas who are going to want to have their own dedicated team. So where we have federated out that um, that accountability and that knowledge, um, I think a lot of a lot of my team are still slightly probably nervous about it. If I'm if I'm really honest, I think that's the sense I get is that, you know, they know I'm here to change stuff. And then, you know, this is the latest incarnation of that. But yeah, we do have some phenomenal subject matter expertise. But most of those areas, like central functions like finance, when they're never going to want to have their own dedicated data engineers, they may want a data analyst or two. They, as a business unit, you can understand them a bit better. I understand they fiddle with some data. What do data engineers do? I mean, the fact that it's got the engineer in the title just sounds quite scary. They're not going to have the ambition to think about what career paths do I give for a data engineer? Goodness golly. Um, how do I how do I assess them? How do I know that they're doing a good job? So we'll still have a significant chunk of the sort of data footprint that will be managed century, I would imagine, with some really quite chunky satellites. If you think of the kind of org chart, we'd have a quite a big still center with some big satellites, but not a proliferation of small ones. Yeah. Um, just because I don't think it's going to be the right structure for VA. Yeah, hundred percent makes uh, makes sense. A couple of things that I want to finish on then. So earlier in the in the episode, you you talked about obviously there's people in your team that are 25, 30 years in. Mm. Obviously, that brings a lot of positives, but also yeah. uh, I guess some of the challenges there are probably things around innovation and fresh perspectives yeah. and, you know, mm -hmm. different skill sets and environments, mm -hmm. and, you know, just the whole experience a, a around that. How have you gone about inspiring those people who've been in the organization for so long to come on that yeah. journey with you when they, I, I assume, are probably quite content with, well, this works fine, <laughs> right? Like, what, yeah. what should yeah. we change? How How, how is yeah. that? So I'll share two sort of anecdotes to start with, one of which is one of my um, product owners, a, a lady who's also been at BA for, forever. She had said to me quite honestly um, about a couple of months ago that she had expected when she talked to her peers, all of whom, you know, you, you'd think of have their whole career at BA. She said she expected some of them to sort of say to her, oh, well, you know, when when the Teradata um, uh, environment goes, I'll, I'll probably go too. you know, that'll be my good opportunity. I don't think I need to learn any of these new skills. And she said the reverse has been true. They've been the ones who said, right, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be left behind. You know, um, they work in a really quite exciting place, I would I would argue. I mean, aviation is exciting. BA is exciting. And then data is utterly fascinating and endlessly changing. So they've actually not been um, the sort of laggards, as it were. They've actually wanted to get ahead of the game. Second part of that is we've run this cloud academy where I've deliberately partnered people that have been at BA forever, along with some recent grads, many of whom have actually got quite a lot of these cloud skills already. We work with Kubrick quite a lot, so they've got they've got some of that training. And actually, I have loved watching in the office 
um, some of the uh, literally people in their 60s sitting with people in their early 20s and mutually learning from each other because the person in their 60s knows all about that. Oh, you need to watch out for that bit of that data because you need to remember that that does that and that, you know, reports into that. And then you've got some cloud skills of kind of the how you'd go about doing stuff. So they know combined the why and the how, and then you put that together and it's a really powerful combination. Uh, all of my team are very, very approachable. Um, majority of them love coming into the office because pre-COVID, they all live mostly around the corner. Um, so we, we haven't really struggled to get the majority of people into the office. Um, but where we do, we treat them as humans and they've got other things going on. Many people are having dual caring responsibilities. So I'm very human in, in the way that I approach um, looking after my teams. Um, so, yes, I think I've I've really celebrated the fact that their attitudes have been really quite um, open to change um, at times. You know, there's been there's been niggles and things like that. But um, I was just reflecting this morning with my extended leadership team on our recent OHI score. So that's the Organisational Health Index that McKinsey runs. Um, and we're the BA digital team, of which I sit as a, a large proportion, had the best OHI score out of the whole of BA. And actually, for two of our metrics, um, one around leadership, the the um, we were in the top decile. So that's an improvement that we're seeing sort of year on year or quarter on quarter when we do these sort of pulse surveys. So it's working. And, and it's not just me doing that. It's all of my extended leadership team and trying to embrace them as a, as a collective unit of leaders, getting them all to work together um, to really, really help drive it and do it from the grassroots. Because no, no matter, I'm five foot three, so in the, in the office, even if I stand on a box and sort of tell everyone what they're going to be doing, they're not going. They don't have to listen to me, do they? So I don't make a very commanding presence. But what I've hopefully got a lot of my team to do is really join in with that enthusiasm and that and that desire to want to do things differently, because everybody is fundamentally very passionate about BA, and that's what we can use. You know, we want to make BA a far better place and a far have a much better experience for some of the teams that we work with that we're enabling so I think I think it's just by sheer perseverance I think it kind of comes through but yeah uh, they are inspired motivation score was the highest in the whole BA um, so that's their desire to want to do their, their jobs well so really I'm really really pleased that they've all kind of got on board it has been rocky I'm not suggesting it's been you know a piece of cake but it uh, but I, I'm really pleased that all of my leaders are, are pulling in the same direction basically yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, final question then, I guess, obviously, if you, as you sit here now and reflect, you know, you've had a very, very positive two and a half year journey. What role in your eyes does data play? And I know there's never no end state, right? But what role no. does data play yeah. in, you know, the next kind of two or three years as far as BA goes in terms yeah. of, you know, changing and transforming the way your organization operates? I mean, you, the words you just used there were exactly the, the, what I would parrot, basically, which is we are trying to do so much as an organization and data is at the heart of all of those things. It's it's like at the moment we can't stop trying to, to kick off new transformation initiatives and data is part and parcel of all of them. So for, for anyone that's traveled with us, particularly over summer when that was really difficult, our ability to get planes off the ground on time was really limited. So all of our KPIs were really woeful and worse than 2019. Data's at the heart of that. We kicked off a massive piece of work to understand with some of our operational data, what is driving, what's causing some of our planes to take off late. And data's at the heart of it. So I don't think, for me, there's there's 
never been a more exciting time to to be leading data from the British Airways perspective um, because we're now called upon for everything. It means I'm incredibly busy um, and literally there is not enough hours in the day. But I don't think there's been a better time because we're part and parcel of all of these transformations. So, um, yeah, I, I'd love to be chatting to you and say three years time when all of our digital experiences have been improved. And then you'll be able to directly say, well, you know, we're improving customer NPS scores um, and data plays a massive, massive part of it. I mean, the ability for you to actually ring a call center and for them to be able to know why you're ringing or for for them to have sorted out your journey mid-flight you know you're going to miss your connection so they've booked you onto the next one all of that involves data and unless we've got that in the right place at the right time for the right user we we can't really you know surprise and delight any of our customers so those things are starting digital experience will be improved the ability for our crew to change mid-flight is going to be improving our ability to get planes away on time is certainly improving some, some of the key things that we're doing. But all of it, all of it uses data. So never been a better time, I think. Nice. Perfect. Well, Sarah, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate your openness and uh, and candidness. And um, yeah, look forward to how the next few years unfold on this uh, major transformation. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.